0: Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Lori Bierman, and I'm the Peer's Contributing Editor for Health Leaders. Today's episode is sponsored by Anovalon. In today's episode, Demystifying Health Equity Through the Use of Real-World Data, we'll be talking about why now is the time for new approaches as health equity becomes more important and becomes embedded in CMS strategy, including value-based care and advanced quality measurement. Joining me today is Christy Tigland, PhD, Vice President of Research and Advanced Analytics with Innovalon. She leads the design and implementation of studies spanning quality, health equity, predictive analytics, health economics, as well as treatment effectiveness and outcomes. Christy works with health plans, providers, and life sciences organizations to provide actionable, real-world data insights. She serves as co-chair of the National Quality Forum's Scientific Methods Panel and is a member of the Pharmacy Quality Alliance's Quality Measure Expert Panel. Christy previously served as Principal of Advanced Analytics at Avalier. In this role, she managed performance measure developments awarded by the NCQA, Christy, thank you so
1: much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk about the topic I have been most passionate about for the last 20 years or so, believe it or not.
0: I I love it. I love it because, as we all know... Health equity isn't new, but it seems to have entered the healthcare discussion in a new way. And I know you've spent your entire career helping stakeholders improve and innovate their quality efforts, you know, with this emphasis on data and tech driven decisions. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to our discussion and I'll start with a, a first question on health equity. Um, and that is, as we mentioned, health equity has become such a hot topic in healthcare. What is health equity by your definition and why is it so important?
1: Well, according to the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, Healthy People 2020, uh, which is the definition most people use, health equity is achieving the highest level of health possible for all people. So this really requires some focused efforts to assure that people have the opportunities because people have different needs. Um, especially those who have experienced socioeconomic disadvantages or lack the resources to allow equal access to care. Um, I think it's interesting that some have differentiated health equity from health equality. Um, Health equality means everybody has the same opportunity. So an example is Um, making vaccinations or preventive screenings available to everybody, regardless of their insurance coverage or their ability to pay, health equity requires really taking that to a step further to providing the individualized care that people need to bring everybody to their highest level of health. So for example, uh, a community clinic might provide free vaccinations to everybody during their nine to five business hours but some people might not be able to go during that time. And so making vaccinations available during evening hours and weekends might be necessary or adding additional locations or mobile units to bring the vaccinations to people who don't have access to transportation. That is true health equity. Uh, So I just thought that's an interesting distinction. You have to go that step further the factors that are associated with health inequities are commonly called health disparities. And these are factors that, uh, uh, again, affect the person's ability to achieve their best health. Factors like race, ethnicity, your gender, your income level, your education level, your language ability. Uh, collectively, these are commonly referred to as social determinants of health, which is the the big the biggest buzzword used in in this area, SDOH, social determinants of health. So over the past decade, there's been increasing recognition that social determinants of health really affect health outcomes, like the likelihood you're going to be admitted to the hospital or readmitted if you're discharged from the hospital, the likelihood you'll have an emergency room visit, or be adherent to your medications that you need to treat your diabetes or treat your hypertension. So lots of studies have now concluded that, I like the statistic, that it's your social factors, your behavioral factors, your environmental factors contribute to 80% of your health outcomes. The clinical care you actually receive only contributes 20% to your overall health outcomes. So, these factors have a huge impact on our health, on the cost of care. There's now extensive literature showing that if you address these risk factors, these social risk factors, this can result in better access and engagement in healthcare, better health outcomes, and lower costs. Yet, we still see these disparities. I think you mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic, and that truly represented a wake up call to our nation because of the disproportionate impact we saw on people who have these social risks. So it became really clear that the existing social and structural inequities we see in the system lead to worse health outcomes, but but much more so for specific segments of the population.
0: I think that's that is a great survey and an overview of the issue and if there is is any area that requires more than a one size fits all approach, it's certainly health equity, and you know, un- unfortunate that the pandemic was the motivator or was a motivator, but it really did it really did reactivate this conversation, and which leads to my next question, which is getting into the specifics of how the industry is responding to health equity. And as a companion question, you know, what is, what is new on the health equity front that payer
1: organizations in particular need to be aware of? Okay, um, y- y- there is lots going on. Um, you know, this, the, 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 the pandemic and all that it surfaced has really inspired a national movement to take action to deliver equitable care, health plans and providers, life science and pharmaceutical companies, governments and public health departments, and even our highest levels of federal government have all really prioritized health equity as a goal for our nation's health. President Joe Biden has issued an executive order, and that has led to the creation of the first national office dedicated to health equity, believe it or not. So let me just mention a few of the big initiatives, the, 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 the new things on the, on the front lines that people really should be aware of. On the regulator side, the, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, has, has initiated several efforts, but one of them is development of a new health equity index quality measure. This measure will uh, initially be applied to Medicare Advantage plans, Medicare Advantage are the private managed care plans that are an alternative to traditional Medicare fee-for-service, but Medicare Advantage plans have are subject to a quality measurement system called the five-star quality rating system. Um, Medicare Advantage now represents over 40% of Medicare enrollees, so it's a really large and growing population. And so this health equity index which is a composite of uh, uh, about 19 quality measures that are, you know, disparity sensitive measures will eventually be incorporated both into the Medicare plan finder that people use to find, you know, pick their Medicare plan, um, as well as into this five star quality rating system. And that hugely impacts bonus payments that that plans rely on. That's one big, you know, initiative. Another example is the Core Quality Measures Collaborative. And this is a public-private partnership, which makes it really interesting. It's a partnership between America's Health Insurance Plans, commonly known as AHIP, um, that represents all the health plans, and CMS, which um, and it's also housed at the National Quality Forum, which is the body that creates all of the quality measures. So this group has now formed a health equity work group and their goal is to identify disparity sensitive quality measures. So that is measures that have the largest disparity gaps, right? And also identify gaps in health equity measures. Where where are we not measuring what we need to measure? Another big thing that's happening is the National Committee for Quality Assurance, NCQA, are going to require in 2022 a subset of, of their health plan quality measures and their national measure set, known to everybody as HEDIS, that stands for Healthcare care, effectiveness, data and information set. It's just a big set of quality measures that plans are held responsible for requiring a subset of those to be stratified by race and ethnicity so that you can really see if blacks are doing worse on Medicare Eastern adherence than Hispanics, than whites, than whatever. Right. So that's a big step. And then I I guess I'll just summarize here with our, you know, based on our work with big health plans like Humana and Centene, we know that the insurers have already started to work on evaluating, you know, how their plans are performing on some of these quality measures that will be incorporated into this new health equity index, like hospital readmissions, receiving, you know, are you getting your preventive screenings, like your cholesterol screening, your Breast cancer screening, uh, adherence to your medications, and they're working with organizations, you know, like us, uh, because we have access to large amounts of Medicare fee-for-service and Medicare Advantage plan data. So we can um, give them benchmarks so that they can really see, you know, how they're how they're doing. And um, we also have a, a really granular source of data on social risk factors. It's at the near neighborhood level, average of five households. So it's a really nice, precise assignment of, of characteristics like median household income, education level, language ability, do you have access to transportation and, and, and all those characteristics that you really need to look at to see if there are disparities in these in these quality measures. So, you know, health plans can really look at which outcomes have the biggest disparities by benchmarking, you know, to other Medicare Advantage plans, to, to fee-for-service, you know, M- Medicare beneficiaries. And they can look at differences in outcomes, say, by race, ethnicity, uh, or income. Some recent work we did with Humana, um, um, and this is actually uh, published in the New England Journal Catalyst, uh, we found that Black Medicare beneficiaries who were dually eligible for Medicaid, which is often sort of a proxy for low income, right, they had the worst performance on the health equity index summary measure. And we we, we, we developed a, a sort of a short version of the health equity index. It was a composite of eight different disparity sensitive measures. But this gap we saw between black dual eligibles or black low income beneficiaries was true in Medicare fee for service. It was true in other Medicare Advantage plans. And it was even true at Humana. But the degree of disparity differed across those different payers. The disparity was the biggest in Medicare fee for service. It was a little bit smaller in Medicare Advantage, and even smaller in Humana because they've been working on these issues for a long time. But you can see how this type of real world data analysis can really help plans sort of see where their biggest disparities are, so that they can focus their resources where they're where they're needed the most. Yeah, and it's
0: it's fantastic that uh, Innovalon has those. Uh, health equity data sets that they can bring to to their partners, because, you know, that's that's one of the issues is either lack of data or just not enough um, of certain kinds of data. And, you know, we've, we've talked about, you mentioned, Christy, the Biden executive order, and then we've seen so many things come out of CMS. I mean, just about everything they're announcing has some sort of health equity component, whether it's the new ACO reach model or whether it's, you know, proposals that they have through the, the rulemaking process for Medicare Advantage or exchange plans. I mean, it just, it really is everywhere and, you know, it, the right time, certainly the right time for the focus on this. And, you know, there there's, there's lots of ways that the healthcare system works. There are so many things about it that are very entrenched in terms of claims and reimbursement and diagnosis and procedure codes. And so that's gonna be one of the areas that can make a difference in healthcare. And what I'm referring to specifically are Z codes. So my next question is, define for our audience what Z code are And then what makes them such an important tool for health plans that are better seeking to document, you know, these very member specific social factors that are affecting them and, and, and the importance of that for the data that the health equity data that we need?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, you need the data on social determinants. To, to, to know where the disparities are and to know what to address. And that continues to be the biggest barrier. All the work that I do, the National Quality Forum on quality measures, of, with the Pharmacy Quality Alliance on the, their medication measures, it, it, it's the lack of data on social determinants of health. And so you, you're right, plans are using, you know, struggling to get this data. If they just don't have it or if they have it, it's not connected to where they need it to to really evaluate health outcomes and access to care and those important things like you know response to treatment or are you even getting screened and, and so they're 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 conducting member surveys which is a slow process right they're using public sources of data but they're not very specific they might be at the five digit zip code level we know that five digit zip codes can be really big and so you know they can have rich people poor people so sometimes the effects of social risk gets bad buried in there, right? Um, We've got that granular source of data that we link to, um, but everybody doesn't have access to that. Uh, I know that CMS just started a big initiative to de- develop a, an improved way to collect data on race, ethnicity, because they're, 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 they know that their data on race and ethnicity is not very good. It's not very accurate. But to your point, health plans need that data now, right? And Z codes are basically an existing way for plans to start collecting this information right now. they are a set of SDOH-related codes within the coding system. We call ICD-10, which is the International Classification of Disease codes. These are codes that providers use every single day to document if you have diabetes, hypertension. Uh, you know what your HbA1c level is if you've got diabetes. They they use these codes every day. But there's a set of them, Z55.0 to Z65.0, that really provide a standard way to document and track information to identify a big range of social risk factors like education level, literacy, employment, unemployment, housing, ability to get adequate food. And the coding guidelines, uh, I think in 2018, approved that everyone, all clinicians, not just physicians involved in the care of a patient can document social risks using these codes. The problem is, while these codes are, you know, grow your own readily available tool, they are grossly underutilized. So we just did an analysis of using pretty recent data from Medicare Advantage plans. And we found that Z codes appeared on only 2.7% of Medicare Advantage Plan member claims in 2020. That was an increase of 42% from 2019. They were only on 1.9% of claims in 2019. And CMS published a similar study using Medicare fee-for-service and their rates are even lower, lower than 1.9%, something like 1.6% of claims. So you know the big increase we got big increase to 2.7 percent, right? That was probably related to the pandemic, right, during that 2020, but still that's only a tiny percent of the cases. Where we know people are living below the federal poverty level, lack literacy skills to understand how to access their system, the system or follow their treatment plans. So, you know, really underutilized, you know, these codes. Uh, you yeah, know, we've been thinking about some ways, um, some steps, uh, you know, that need to be taken to improve the use of Z codes. There just seems to be such a reluctance. And we've been, you know, scratching our heads about why. Obviously, there's a need for additional training to, for providers to understand why it is so important to collect this information. You know, the huge impact social risk factors have on on people's health and and the cost of care. Frankly, you know, pe- providers think about the clinical care they're giving. Am I giving the right drug? And am I you know seeing the this- person, you know, enough and and they think about the clinical care, but they don't always think about addressing the social needs. And so there obviously needs to be some training there. And also maybe some training to ensure that these codes, if they are used more broadly, are, are used consistently and accurately. But the other issue gets to be how do clinicians respectfully ask patients questions about sensitive social needs, right? It's, 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 it's sensitive to ask people about their income and their housing situation and, you know, their, their living situation. And then how you respond when patients are concerned about sharing this type of information, what are you going to do with this? Right? So there's a whole lot of issues about, that need to be addressed and another thing is that these z codes have, there's been a lack of financial incentive they're not used in reimbursement and there's there, there's been some discussion of including social risk factors in some of the payment models but i personally believe that you know the emerging value-based care models already have built-in incentives to address sdoh because you know providers can better understand the impact of these social risk factors on their health outcomes and costs which will impact their performance on the value based metrics they're going to be held to to get paid maybe they'll appreciate the understanding you know the importance of of really collecting this information You know, health plans could also provide incentives to their providers to to collect some of this data. I know some plans have done that. They've selected a subset of codes that they require to be routinely collected. So it's a starting point. Right. You got to get started somehow. And a final barrier I'll just mention, because it's important, is that maybe clinicians, you know, are are reluctant to document social risk factors because they might not have access to the right resources to address the needs. You know, you don't want to ask someone, do you have good food, you know, adequate food if you can't do anything about it, right? Really bad about that. So there are now a lot of referral sources, there are websites that are popping up, web-based tools that are available to connect patients um, uh, to community resources like that provide housing, that provide food and other services. So this is a kind of a growing area, but there's a huge need there. We don't have the infrastructure, right? I mean, a, a, a physician can't pay for housing and, and and get make sure you have food and transportation. You know, we can't give everything to everybody. So this is sort of a It takes a village effort. Right. So, you know, that that, that's that's just starting now. But um, I think that that sort of thing has to grow in order to really, um, you know, make sure these providers, you know, are not just asking the questions and then don't do something about it.
0: Absolutely. And um, in our last, you know, three or four minutes or so, Christy, I um, wanted to zero in on what health plans should be doing now. We have touched on this, some, um, but particularly for health plans that are just beginning this journey toward improving health equity, just as providers are, what are some of the tangible steps uh, that they can take to get started?
1: Yeah, you know, I think plans really need to start getting a handle on how they are doing on these quality measures where we know there are disparities, like the medication adherence measure I I mentioned, right? And so there are 19 measures in this CMS health equity index um, that they're going to develop. We're not sure when that will come out, right? But 14 of the 19 measures, 74% of them, plans can calculate using their own claims data, So they could start right now evaluating their performance on 14 of the 19 measures. They could stratify them, hopefully they have the data, on on factors like dual eligible status that was that's like a proxy for low income and that's one of the one of the variables cms said they will be stratifying these measures by for duals versus non-dual eligible uh members by disability status that's another factor they're going to stratify by and and by race ethnicity so if plans can calculate these measures for their own population stratify them to say what's the rate for whites versus blacks versus hispanics what's the rate for dual eligibles versus nons they can really get ahead of the curve so they can you know start right now to address some of those areas where they see the biggest disparities and they can put their resources to where the need is is the biggest and it, and this is also going to help them understand how they're going to rank on this measure once it's published and once it's the star ratings, right? Why wait? It plans who wait, you know, until CMS publishes their performance rates are going to be struggling to catch up. So I think this is a great place to start. You know, they don't have to start with all 14 of the measures. They could start with, you know, a handful of those. We have benchmarks for those measures. Uh, Novalon can support, you know, providing some benchmarks to plans, but plans can go take this a long way on their own as well with the data that they have in-house.
0: I think that's a great call out. I didn't realize there were so many
1: measures in the
0: CMS Health Equity Index. And the fact is that even though it's a very daunting task to take on, you know, plans and providers and other stakeholders don't, they're not having to start with that blank sheet of paper. As you mentioned, Christy, there are these 19 measures and they can zero in on the ones where there is, as you mentioned before, disparity, more disparity sensitivity, you know, for certain kinds of metrics. So fantastic fantastic discussion, Christy. Really, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your perspective.
1: It's been so great speaking with you. Thank you. As I said in the beginning, this is my area of passion. This is why I still do what I do, chipping away at this. uh, But I love all the attention it's getting now. And, you know, using data to drive some of these, reducing some of these disparities is just a, a great way to spend your day. (laughs)
0: I I couldn't agree more. And thank you for sharing those insights with our listeners and to our listeners. Thank you for tuning into the Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be here each Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.